Amen. Well, tonight we're going to continue in our book study on the epistle of James. Um, we're very, I'm very excited about going through this book study with all of you. And uh, we started it last week. We kicked it off with our first message with an introduction to the book of James. And then we talked a little about uh, the man James. Does anyone remember what we learned about James? Who was James related to? Jesus. Jesus. He was the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, was James a believer for his entire life? No. no. When did he become a believer? After he felt something amazing. <laughs> okay, I think the right answer might have been over here. What was it? Absolutely. After he saw Jesus risen from the dead, after, after he saw Jesus resurrected, he knew, he knew that Jesus was who he said he was all along. Um, so yeah, James is a half-brother of Jesus, wasn't a believer his entire life, saw Jesus raised from the dead, believed then in that moment who he was. He went on to become a prominent church leader, led some church councils in the book of Acts, and... Um, he would have been much like Pastor Soto, uh, a lead senior pastor of a church, but also involved in uh, numerous activities with other churches. That's pretty much what Pastor Soto does now in his life. So he was a very um, wise uh, pastoral figure for many, many people. Um, we also learned that there was a very specific transition that happened in James' thinking um, when he saw Jesus resurrected, he went from being one of Jesus's biggest skeptics to seeing Jesus as his savior. And he then took on in his heart the mentality of being a servant. Does anyone else, does anyone know what else that term means? Servant? A slave. It can also mean a slave. Not a slave like we think of in our culture today, but this was more of a mutual agreement. And the main example that we gave last week was that being a slave in that time sometimes would mean that if you didn't have enough money to care for yourself or care for your family, and you were in a desperate need or in a desperate situation, sometimes people would literally just go up to very uh, wealthy, prominent figures in that time, and they would say, hey, I'll work for you. I will relinquish all my rights and I will just work for you, serve you, and that was worth it to them to have provision for their lives. And that's much, much the same as to how we approach Jesus. When we finally get the revelation of who he is, we then have a change of heart because our perspective of Jesus has changed. And how you view Jesus changes how you view yourself. And so we realize that we have nothing we can bring we're all sinful, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and that we are in desperate need of a master and a savior to provide everything for our lives. And so that's exactly what happened in James' life. And continuing on in this book, now we're going to get into the meat of it, and we're going to realize that James is giving us practical instruction for how to live out a faithful Christian life. This is a book of fruitfulness or also some people would call it a book of works. These are good works that will happen and occur that will result because you have a slave mentality. Amen. Amen. So let's go ahead and read uh, 
James chapter 1, verses 2 through 12. Those are the scriptures we will be covering tonight. I do have numerous cross-references. Um, I'll try to go as paced as possible. Not too fast, but not too slow. So hopefully we can get through all of this. But these cross-references, I believe, are very important. That's why we have so many of them. I know it might be a, a little wearisome, but just stick with me. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Amen. Powerful, powerful scriptures from James. And it's like this throughout the remainder of this book. He's just constantly throwing jabs at our Christian character and challenging us to be better. Well, in his first challenge tonight, we're going to highlight that first verse, verse 2, where he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, this verse could seem quite confusing, especially if we uh, didn't believe in Jesus Christ, and maybe for some of us that do. You know, I believe in Jesus now. I'm, I'm living a life. I've been baptized, filled with the Spirit. You know, I should have a life of blessing, right? But no, that's not always the case. Trials will come our way. And James is saying, count it all joy when you, when you face those trials. It's like, okay, James, it's just that easy. Count it all joy when someone in my family passes away. Count it all joy when it feels like my whole life is falling apart. Count it all joy when I lose a close friendship. Count it all joy when there's cancer, when there's brain tumors. Count it all joy when there's a health condition that I have, but the doctors just cannot figure it out. You're telling me to count it all joy. James would respond, yes, that's absolutely what I'm telling you. And I'm sure he would immediately jump to, therein lies the problem. Your attitude. Your attitude. This kind of thinking is only an indictment upon ourselves because we have the wrong perspective. We have the wrong attitude on our situation. So then we might ask, well, how on earth am I supposed to live a life with an attitude of joy even when I go through various trials? Well, I think the answer lies within the rest of this passage. James starts us off by diving deep, in, diving deep into, the, into the trials that we may face. And then he gives us clear instruction for what we should do with these trials with a joyful 
attitude. First of all, I'd like, to note, I'd like us all to notice that it's not a matter of if, but when. James does not say, count it all joy, if you fall into trials. He says, when. When you fall into trials. And then he goes on to say, various trials. That means trials of all kinds. No matter what they are, no matter what you're facing. No trial is alike. Every situation that we face is unique. It's unique because of who we are and our personality. It's unique because of our connections, our upbringing. It's unique because of our illness or whatever we're facing. All of it turns into a unique trial. So we must first of all write this down, assume there's a trial, and next expect the unexpected. Okay, assume there's a trial and expect the unexpected. Big or small, short or long, whether you're just or unjust, righteous, unrighteous, no matter what, we will face trials. Matthew 5.45 says, He makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. The term there for sun, or, or when he says sun, he's referencing light. Light can also be attached to goodness, right? But then rain, it's, it's more attached to darkness. So he's saying no matter whether you're going through something good or something bad, it falls on both sides. does not matter who you are. So why on earth should I count it all joy? If we're all treated the same, whether we're in this room tonight or we're out in the world, why should I count it all joy? Here's why. Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This is why. Knowing. Knowing. Go ahead and underline that word, knowing. Knowing what? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Know this. You're not going through it for nothing. In the middle of going through it, it is producing something. It is producing patience. Know this. Know that in the middle of this, God is strengthening you. God is in control of everything. The only reason why that trial even exists in the first place is because God allowed it. Consider Job from the Old Testament. Satan decides that he's going to chat it up with God for a little bit. He says, you know, people only serve you faithfully because you bless them, right? And God says back to him, have you considered my servant Job? He said, well, yeah, of course I have, but your protection is upon him. You're protecting him everywhere he goes and you've blessed him. Of course he's going to serve you. God says, okay, I'll pull my hand of protection off of my servant Job. You can do whatever you want with him. Just don't kill him. What happens to Job? Well, he loses his house. His crops die off. His animals are plundered. And all of his children die. Leaving Job and his wife and a few terrible friends. And the whole rest of Job, it's like 40-some chapters, is this massive struggle that Job goes through when he loses everything. And the whole reason why it happened is why? Because God pulled his hand of protection off of Job. He allowed something into Job's life 
to test him, to try him. And all throughout it, you see Job wavering through this, this struggle with patience and faithfulness to God. And his wife even tells him, curse God and die. But he won't. But he won't. And so Job had to come to this conclusion of knowing that this was all because of God. He's forming in you the endurance that is needed for your faith journey. That's another word for patience. That'd be a more updated version of this word. Endurance. Endurance. The testing of your faith produces endurance. And then the next key word I want to highlight here is the word let. Let patience have its perfect work. Allow it to happen. Submit to the process. Don't fight back against it. Allow it to happen. Paul says in Romans chapter 9, Can the thing molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Then he goes on to say, Who can resist his will? No one can. If God wills it, God allows it. You need to just simply submit to the process. Let it happen. Don't get so focused on why it's there. Focus on how you can endure through it. All right? Strong's explains patience like this. It comes from the Greek word hupumone. That's a funny one. Go ahead and laugh. Get it out. Hupomone. It means cheerful endurance. There's some joy. There's a pattern. Constancy. Vines uh, defines it like this. Remaining under. Remaining under. You are literally staying where God has placed you. You're not running from him, but you are remaining submitted to him. What does submission mean? To place yourself under. To place yourself under. So if submission is what places you under God, then patience is what keeps you under God. If submission is what places you under his authority, then patience keeps you under his authority. Now, what if I don't know what I am doing through this trial? What if I'm confused? Everything's swirling around me in, in my life right now. Nothing makes sense. Life seems so well and great, and now it all of a sudden just erupted out of nowhere and turned into this massive life of chaos. Well, let's look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all of his ways. Wisdom in the Greek, Greek word Sophia. Anyone in here named Sophia? Let's go. Um, means wisdom. Literally in the Greek. You know what it means? Wisdom. That's it. Nothing crazy. But it is used throughout Scripture to convey broad intelligence or knowledge regarding diverse matters. Various trials, 
diverse matters, wisdom helps you with those various trials. Vines lets us know its insight into the true nature of things. Now, what we must identify is that there are two kinds of wisdom. Write this down. There are two kinds of wisdom. There is the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. Now, the difference between man's wisdom and God's wisdom is this. Moral control. Moral control. Also known as self-control, which just so happens to be a fruit of the Spirit. Moral control. Let's look at James uh, chapter 3. We'll look at verses 13. Yeah, you can turn there right in your scripture journal if you'd like. James chapter 3. We're going to look through verses 13 through 18. It says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from heaven or from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We see here the contrast in man's wisdom versus God's wisdom. There's a contrast between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. And the clear contrast there is that point that I just made. Moral control. Moral control. Man's wisdom is knowledge without moral control. You can see that going on everywhere in our world today, right? It's all around out there. Our world does keep getting smarter and smarter. As the years go on, we gain a better and more clear understanding of some things. It's just when you mix it, with zero morality, what are you going to get out of it? It's going to be this earthly wisdom that's self-seeking, that's bitter, that's hateful. It's demonic. And where self-seeking exists, confusion and everything, every evil thing are there. Wouldn't you use that to describe our world today? Everyone's confused. Nobody knows the right side up. So that's man's wisdom, knowledge without moral control. God's wisdom is knowledge with moral control. So when, where, and how can we find such a wisdom? Well, the wisdom of man is all over the place. You can find it everywhere. But God's wisdom is found in a very specific place. We're going to go to Job uh, chapter 28. We're going to be looking at verses... Um, I think I gave them the wrong ones for a second. We'll start with verse 12. Verse 12, if it's up on the screen, you can go ahead and just, just try to read it and follow along with me because this is a powerful point. Where, when, where, and how do we find wisdom? Verse 12, but where can wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. 
The deep says it is not in me, and the sea says it is not with me. It cannot be purchased for gold, nor can silver be weighed for its price. It cannot be valued in gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Neither gold nor crystal can equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewelry of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or quartz, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? Where do we find godly wisdom? You can search everywhere. You can sail every sea. You can dive to the deepest depths of the ocean. You can get a search party on and travel all across the land. You can fly as high as you can go. You can dig up as many precious stones and metals as you can find. And you will never, ever be able to find God's wisdom. It's, it does not naturally exist down here. There is only man's wisdom. Let's jump to verse 27 and 28. Then he saw wisdom and declared it. This is speaking about God. He prepared it. Indeed, he searched it out. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Basically, what we can conclude here is that wisdom is found in faith in God. Why? Because you do not fear something that you first don't believe in. The world's deadliest snake could come out here right now, and I could look at it and go, oh yeah, that's a little garden snake. And all of you could be out there, no, 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 that's poisonous. As soon as it bites you, you're going to die. <laughs> I know my snakes. It's a garden snake. And I reach down and I get bit. But if I fear that snake, if I believe what it's capable of doing to me, I'm going to respect it because I, I fear that snake. I have faith in it and what it can do, so now I have a fear towards it. I have a respect towards it. The same thing happens with God, except for it's, 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 it's not just you're afraid like running away. It's a fear of, wow, you're so powerful. Like I submit and I respect your authority. So you will not fear something you don't first believe in. That's where wisdom is first found. It's found when you put your faith and your trust in Almighty God. Within Jewish culture, wisdom is considered seeing life through the lens of God. They don't view defining wisdom any other way. There's literally like no such thing as man's wisdom. They only see wisdom and define it like that. Seeing life with basically with God in mind to gain a clear understanding of life with God in the forefront of your mind it's rooted in their belief in God it's exactly the point that Job just made for us it's rooted in their faith in God and so because of that uh, uh, they are permanently tied together in the mind of Jewish believers and I think that's how we need to see it as well because man's wisdom really isn't wisdom. Is it? All I saw when I looked through uh, 
that passage in James chapter 3 was pride. That's all I saw. It was man's pride. It had nothing to do with wisdom. It's fake. It's fabricated. It's synthetic. It's not real. It's not real. So faith is always attached to our wisdom. It's when we separate these two that we fall into complete self-destruction. And this is where we find uh, the double-minded man. The double-minded man is someone who believes in God, but doesn't believe God. Two completely different things. I can believe in God. I can believe there is a God. But it means a lot more when I trust God. When I believe that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. That's the double-minded man. They're kind of throwing up a prayer. Give me wisdom. Give me knowledge. Give me understanding. Give me what is needed, God. Please, please, I need your help. But deep inside, they really don't think that it's going to happen. And what does it say about the double-minded man? He is unstable in all his ways. Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. That's exactly what's going on here. The doubter is not rooted, rooted on solid, stable faithful ground but underneath him it's literally like the waves of the sea can you imagine walking on the sea let's pretend for a moment you could literally like every drop of water could support your footstep and you see those waves of the sea it'd be pretty hard to stay upright that's what the ground is that the double-minded man is walking on it's like an ocean rumbling beneath him and there's no way that he can stay on his two feet Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. There's faith. And lean not on your own understanding. There's all, that also takes faith, right? In all your ways acknowledge him, or faith, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. There's wisdom. There's wisdom. It's all connected to your faith. And here's the result. It will be a health to your flesh and a strength to your bones. Don't rely on your own understanding for your support. Don't rely on that. Lean in on God's understanding and his wisdom. And if you are lacking wisdom, what should you do? Ask for it. Ask for it. You get a present at the end for getting the, getting the answer right. Ask for it. It says it right here. It says that he gives to all men liberally, generously. He doesn't hold anything back. He's not the stingy old millionaire uncle that you're related to who doesn't give you any money. Who tells you to kick rocks when you ask him for something. He gives it to you and he gives it to you generously. That lets me know that I can count these trials, all count them as joy because I know he's going to provide exactly what I need and then some to endure, to have the patience, to come out on the other side. God will give it to you. He will hold nothing back from you unless you are a double-minded man. You will receive nothing from him. God can also give us wisdom through other people. Proverbs 13 and 20 not only does he give it to us just straight from him when we ask him for it, but sometimes God will send us to other people. When, when Jesus first appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, 
What did he do? He sent Paul to another man. And that man gave Paul what he needed to get started on his ministry journey. All throughout the Old Testament, God's using prophets to speak to people. He's using other men to impart his wisdom. So God will use men. Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. This goes back to our shepherd series. Who are you allowing to influence you? Who's speaking into your life? Job had all his friends and his wife telling him just to roll over and die. But he didn't trust them. His faith was shaken. It wasn't a perfect journey. Job didn't enjoy any of that. It's it, it said that he literally was taking, he was taking like broken clay pots and scraping scabs off of his skin. That's the kind of trial Job was facing. He was completely diseased, lost everything, reduced to nothing. And he's literally scratching the scabs off of his skin. I think any of us would maybe get a little bit questionable towards God about that. That's a tough thing to deal with. So he, he may have wavered a little bit, but he endured. He stayed faithful. You cannot fake your way through a trial, but you can faith your way through a trial. You cannot fake your way through, you can faith your way through. Because within faith, there is always wisdom. And without it, there will be no, no endurance, no commitment, no patience, because you have no trust. You don't believe that God's going to do what he's going to do. So, what we can conclude from all of that is this. If faith is connected to wisdom, then we can conclude that where there is doubting, there is no genuine faith, and therefore there is no wisdom. Without being a believer in Jesus Christ, without following him by faith, without obeying his word and following him as a true Christian, James is telling us tonight, you will never make it. You will never make it. There is no wisdom, no endurance. Continuing with verse 9, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as the flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, it, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. In this passage, the rich man represents the double-minded man. He represents someone who never has to go through anything, who lives a life of ease and comfort. There's no trials, or if there are trials, he ignores them, pretends they're not there. He's got everything he needs in life, and he's good. No tests, doesn't have to endure anything. Just keeps on going. Keeps on going. Ignores his problems. Doesn't profit from the trial at all. Just keeps on trucking along. The poor man is a life of humbling trials. The poor man is someone who's been through it all. Who's seen some things. Whose faith has been tested and has been tried by God. And his endurance has been proven. It has been proven. 
And what do we see here? The poor man will be exalted, but the rich man, he will be humiliated. The heat withers the grass, it flowers fall, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. This is a very unique illustration here because it, what it's actually uh, referring to is what's considered the east wind. It will be found throughout your Bible. There's your homework assignment. Go read up on scriptures involving the east wind. It can be used as a term of blessing, but it can also be used as a term of judgment. It's primarily judgment. And what this east wind was in Palestine is this. When the wind direction would change at a very specific time in the summer months, the wind would bring all of the heat from the Arabian desert into Palestine. And not only that, but there would be very violent windstorms. So you don't just have the heat of a desert, but you have the force of the wind that is behind it. And so quite literally, as, as, as this wind is coming through, pulling in temperatures as high as 130 degrees from the Arabian desert, you have all this, this, this lush gardens and plants and everything, all the food, livestock and everything. The force of that heat is so great, it literally will like disintegrate everything. It withers up, it falls, it perishes, all within a few seconds, depending on the storm. And that's what will happen to the person who does not embrace the trial, count it all joy, face it head on, with God's wisdom to give you the endurance. That's what happens. It's like everything disintegrates. I think of Solomon when he says, life is but a vapor. It's there for a moment, and it's gone. You will not last very long. You will not endure through life. You will not endure till the end unless you face some things. Finally, we see endurance brings blessing. You can stand with me tonight. Endurance brings blessing. Verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Why do we count it all joy? Because we don't focus on the problem. We focus on the destiny. We focus on the potential. We focus on what's ahead. Blessed is the man who endures. Why? Because he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised. When God makes a promise, he follows through on that promise. That's why we count it all joy. Because when you've entered into a true relationship with Jesus Christ, and you are committed to staying faithful and enduring, that means that on the other side, you're going to have salvation. He's going to follow through on his promise. You'll receive your crown. You'll receive your eternal life because you followed through until the end and you counted it all joy. Hebrews 12 and 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You guys remember us talking about the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Where Jesus is literally sweating blood because the stress is so high at this point because he knows the cross is just on the other side. He knows that Judas has gone out to betray him and he cries out to God to let this cup pass from him. What's God's answer? He strengthens him. He strengthens him. He sends ministering angels down to him and they strengthen Jesus. And somehow through those prayers, Jesus was able to shift his focus off of that moment and to the joy that was on the other side of everything. Because God gave him what he asked for. God gave him the wisdom to endure even the cross. That makes our trials seem pretty small. They're big to us. They're big to us. But they're small in the grand scheme of things because of what Christ has done for people like you and me. Matthew 24, 13. He who endures to the end shall be saved. And we endure because Christ endured. Let's go ahead and pray tonight. Jesus.